0: have uh, so much talent in our midst, and that they uh, they use that talent for His glory. Praise the Lord. Well, what I want to share with you today, I want to talk with you, I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I want to talk about it again today. Um, looking through the lens of grace. You know, every one of us, we see the world we see, the environment that we live in, uh, we, we look through a lens. We see it. It's, it's, it's colored. It's influenced by everything around us, by what we hear, by what we see, by um, our upbringing. All of those things influence our environment. And so what I want to talk with you today about is, is looking through the lens of grace. You know, <clears throat> when you begin to get a hold of, when we got a hold of the message of grace, it, it changed how we saw everything. When, we, when, when you were born again, you know, when you began to see things, you began to see everything differently. Why? Because you began to look at it through a different lens. And so everything in the world, what it wants to do is it wants to draw our attention And it wants to draw us away from what Jesus has truly accomplished in our life. And and whether we realize it or not, it's a lens. It it influences how we see things. And so today, like I said, I want to talk about looking through the lens of grace. You know, I think so much of the church today, and church, I'm, I'm speaking this in a general way, I believe so much of the church today still looks through basically a lens that's been established through the Old Covenant, through the law. And you know, it's an interesting thing. When you're looking at things through the law rather than through grace, it it changes your view. It changes how you see things. When you begin to look at things through the lens of grace, rather than seeing things judgmentally, you begin to see that these, these, these things that pr- produce death and destruction in their life, you begin to want something different than those people. You don't want to condemn them any longer, but you want them to experience the hope that's truly been made available to them through Christ Jesus. Because we realize that if it hadn't been for Jesus, if it hadn't been for His goodness, where would we be? Remember one of the first orientations that I went to um, when we began to go into Rockwell City, into the prison there. The individual that was doing the orientation for us, he said, you know, so many of you Christians, when you come in here, you have this idea about you, within you, that, you know, when you look at the inmates, you think, but for the grace of God, so be I. Or I, that's not exactly quoted correctly, but Schroeder's paraphrase is close enough. But he says, you know what? That's not true. He says, that's not true because some of these individuals, they have, you know, whatever term he used for it, that this is just, this is just who they are. You know, how many years have we been going into the prison now? Almost 30? You know, I found something out. But for the grace of God, there be I. But for the grace of Jesus, there would be no hope in my life. But for the grace of Jesus, there would be no hope in your life. And how do we see that? It's because he was looking at it through the lens of the law. When you look at it through the, end, the lens of the law, all that you could see is the failing, the shortcoming, the hopelessness. But you know what? When we begin to see and we begin to look through the lens of grace, the most hopeless individual, there's hope. The individual that we look at and we think it's an a- absolute impossibility, there's a possibility. You know, I, <clears throat> I remember when Pastor Harold was sharing with us it was probably almost a year ago now, but he is sharing his experience on the mission field, and he was talking about how the, the individuals that he had won to the Lord and and how many churches that had been started and those pastors, it, <clears throat> if I'm quoting you wrong, pastor, just let me know later on, you know, and I won't correct it, but I'll say, oh you know but but most of these individuals, these pastors, were, had been witch doctors before they were saved. And you know what? The majority of the world, if you've ever watched um, National Geographics or any of those things, and they show those countries and, and the witch doctors and stuff that's going on there, you'd look at that and you'd say, it's hopeless. There's no way. But see, it was not hopeless. It was no way. There there was a way. Because pastor looked at him through the lens of grace. He realized the same Jesus that died for him is the same Jesus that died for them. And so we see how important it is that we see it this way because it gets rid of the hopelessness in our life. A lot of us, we look at our lives and we think, well, you know, this is my lot in life because this is what I've done. This is how I've lived. This is the consequences. But see, when we begin to, that's looking at it through the law of the, the lens of the law, because you're looking at it from the standpoint you you deserve, you get what you deserve. I'm looking at it through the lens of grace. I don't get what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. If I got what I deserved, that would be damnation. That would be hell. I don't want that. But because of Jesus, because of His grace, salvation has been made available to me. And so that's how I look to Him. That's how I see Him. And so, so many of the traditions that we see around us today, they're not based on the grace of God. They're based on the traditions of Man. You know what? <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with tradition. I love tradition. But there's something wrong with wrong tradition. And the only thing that you can do with wrong tradition is repent of it. Turn from it. And accept what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. Let's look at the Gospel of John. And we'll look at, we'll look at two verses here. John, the first chapter. I'm going to look at verse 14, and then I'm going to look at verse 17. Verses you're very familiar with. And the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, this Scripture isn't talking about a theory. It isn't talking about some theme or Bible study. It's talking about a person. It's talking about Jesus. And it says that Jesus is full of it. He's full of grace and truth. And then the 17th verse, says, for the law was given through Moses. The law was given through a person. Is directed by the, by the Holy Spirit, by God. But the law was given through a person, Moses. But listen to this, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we look at, we look at it through the lens of, of grace, we look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit, because if we don't look at it through that, We're not going to see things accurately. We're going to see things tinted by the old covenant, by the law. And we're not going to truly see what Jesus has done for us, what he's accomplished for us. Listen to me. I want us to know something. I want us to know that Jesus was enough. I want us to know that Jesus completed the works. And that everything that Jesus did, he did for you and I, that we might be able to have abundant life. Grace is truth. It's important for us to recognize that. Paul talks about the the message of grace, the salvation of grace, because it's the only way that it comes to us. Grace is truth, because Jesus is truth. Let Jesus be true and every man a liar. Jesus is truth, and so we must be willing to recognize and receive and accept that truth and how we see it is so very, very important to us. In the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, and in the 31st verse, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth that you know will set you free. But notice what that truth must be based on. That truth must be based on the grace of God of what Jesus has done for us. Because if that truth, what we declare, what we call truth, isn't based on the, on, on, the, on the truth of grace, we won't see it accurately. We won't see it properly. This whole book is truth. Amen. But you know, there's people that say, well, you can get the Bible to say whatever you want. Not if you rightly divide it. Not if you recognize the dispensation that you're living in, that you're living in the dispensation of grace that Jesus conquered the enemy, that we're no longer, it's no longer based upon my performance. It's based on his performance. It's not what I've done, it's what Jesus has done. That's where our victory lies. That's where we get the abundant life. Listen to this in Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Sin will not dominate you. Why? Because you're not under the law. Because you're under grace. Because under grace, you recognize that sin is defeated. That sin has no power over you. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. You say, well, Pastor, I just just don't know about that. The sting of death is sin. Are you ready for this? The strength of sin is the law. You You ever realize something? When you try so hard to do the right thing it's almost impossible at least to maintain it. But you know what? When you begin to recognize what Jesus has done for you and you begin to focus on what Jesus has done rather than what you're supposed to do or what you think you're supposed to do that, that law that loses its power it loses its It's strength in your life. And so what happens is you rise above it because of what Jesus has done for you. Let me read that again. The sting of death is sin. Well, you know what? Death has no sting in our life any longer. Do Do you realize we can't lose? It's a As born-again believers, it's an absolute impossibility for us to lose. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you remember Paul? You know, he's got all these threats. He's, He's coming to the end of his ministry, the end of his life. And he says, you know, again, this is Schroeder's paraphrase. He says, you know, for me to just die and go home, that'd be really good. But it's to your advantage that I stick around just a little bit longer and share more truth to you. And so for me to live is good, but to die is better. But you know, we look at it opposite. We, we don't look at it that way. We see, we see death as a defeat. No, <clears throat> it's appointed unto every one of us to die. If Jesus tarries, I hate to give you this news, but you're going to push up daisies. Every one of us. It's inevitable. If Jesus tarries, now if he comes back before that, praise God, we get to meet him in the air, and thus we shall always be with him in the air. I mean, I, I think that'd be kind of a cool way to go. You know, I'm kind of scared of heights. But you know, I have a feeling that when you're shooting up through those clouds, it's gonna be whoo. Probably wouldn't even have time to go, whoa, you know. But I, I just I just you know, I just think that'd be kind of cool. But, you know what, if I kick off, Aaron, just plant me. Amen. So, so we can't lose. It's an absolute impossibility for us to lose. The enemy can throw whatever he wants at us. It may look like we're defeated, but we're never defeated because of Jesus. Because of what he's done in each of our lives. Boy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, we should have a rapture drill right now and see how it goes. Glory to God. We can't lose because of Jesus and what He's done for us. But you know what happens is we allow everything in this world to affect us. It gets us, it gets us so distracted, we we don't even think about heaven. You know, I used to hear this statement all the time. It said, be careful. You don't want to become so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good. I ain't run into that person yet. So I don't think any of us have to worry about that. I don't think you can get so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good. I think the more heavenly-minded you are, the more determined you are going to be to accomplish something for the kingdom while you're still here on earth. Because all at once it doesn't matter. What everybody else thinks, what everybody else, whatever. Listen to this second 2 Timothy 2:15, it says, "Be diligent." That means we have to apply ourselves. Second 2 Timothy 2:15: "Be diligent to present yourself to prove yourselves approved of God, a workman. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. What does that mean? That means knowing that we're in the dispensation of grace and now no longer under the dispensation of the law. Recognizing what Jesus has done for us. You know, because if we don't rightly divide it, you know, it's not the word's fault. Because the word is truth. And so it's presenting to us is truth. From cover to cover, it's presenting to us truth. But we have a responsibility to rightly divide it so that we apply it properly in our lives. Let me read that verse again, only from the Amplified. Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God-approved, tested by trial a workman who has, not, has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accordingly dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. That's what we're to do with God's word. We're, we're to present it rightly. You know, <clears throat> um, as we all know, I'm going to be Stepping down from this position at the end of the year. And so for almost 40 years, there's one thing that's been a, a constant fear in my life. And don't pray for me to be free of it because I won't let go of it. Because the Bible says, I know what it says, God's not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But there's one area that I won't let go of. And that is that I would get up here on a Sunday morning and not rightly divide the word of truth. You know, I look back on my 30, almost 40 years of ministry. I've said some wrong things from the pulpit. But I've never done it intentionally. You know, you guys feel sorry for yourself sometimes. I think of that poor church in Wapaka that I pastored for those first two years. I think, those poor people. Oh, my God. The poor things. But you know what? I'll, I'll never let go of that. Until I breathe my last breath of air, I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth. Why? Because I don't want to leave anybody with the wrong impression of who my Jesus is. My Jesus is a lover. My Jesus is one who wants the very best for each and every, not only one of us, but for each and every individual that has lived upon this earth or ever will live on this earth. That's the Jesus that we know. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. And so each and every one of us, we need to be diligent. We need to have this desire on the inside of us for truth. And I'm not just talking about truth. I'm talking about truth from the standpoint of grace that we divide it rightly. Anybody that really knows me knows that I like, I enjoy history. You know, right now I'm reading a six-volume thing of, of, uh, of um, Winston Churchill. I love truth because it's, it's sharing truth. But you know what? <clears throat> that truth will never set you free. But I'll tell you what will set you free when you get this truth and you interpret it according to the truth, who is Jesus the Word, and you interpret it rightly, it'll bring freedom in your life that you'll never have in any other way. That's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. That's what the Christendom that we're we're, we're experiencing today is to be based upon that truth. And any tradition of man that goes contrary to that, that truth of grace It's false. And it will not bring you into the freedom that Jesus made available to us. We we hear it more and more within the church. That it's, it's the philosophy of man. We see it infiltrating the church. The philosophy of man. We have churches today that do not believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God. We have churches today that believe and they go by the label of Christian. And they believe that there's, there's many ways to God. You just have to believe something. Because there's many ways to God. Well, call me narrow, narrow-minded. Call me whatever you want. There is but one way to God. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through me. And people in these other ways, they're good people. They're wonderful people. They have qualities many times that I wish we saw more of in the church. But you know what? Just because they have good qualities, because it isn't based upon what we've done, it's based on what Jesus has done. And Jesus has come that we might have freedom and allness. but it's only through Him that we find it. We love all men. Amen. It's God's will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's why he sent his most precious, precious possession, his son Jesus Christ, to pay the price so that you and I can experience that life and that we might have it abundantly. In Colossians 2.8 and in NIV it says, See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, pretend, <clears throat> uh, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It means we put our trust and our confidence in something other than Jesus. We put our trust completely in Him and in Him alone. Let me read that out of the Amplified. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captives by the so-called philosophy and intellectualism of vain deceit. You know, I remember some 37 years ago, when I came here to Jefferson, Iowa to pastor this church, and I would go to the ministerial meetings, and I would feel so intimidated because most of the people that were there had more letters behind their name than I had in my name. You understand what I'm saying? They were educated. I weren't so much so. But then one day I realized something. They had their intellect. They had their education. But I had something they didn't have. I had a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm for education. I'm for us to to feed our intellect. But you know what? doesn't compensate for a relationship with Jesus. Because the other part of it is, is when you have a relationship with Jesus and you begin to interpret that scripture through that lens of grace, everything that you see around you begins to change. You know, I've often said, you know, when I got saved, I committed the two unpardonable sins. I left the Missouri Center the Missouri, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and I left the Democratic Party. Not sure with our family which was the greater sin. But you know what? I didn't do it because of either one, what they taught, what they proclaimed, but what they didn't. You know, when you get a hold of Jesus and you begin to look at the gospel, the, the, your world through the lens of grace, it changes everything. And that's how we experience that new life that truly is ours. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourself captive by the so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fantasies, and plain nonsense, following human traditions. Men's ideals of the material rather than the spiritual world. Just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. You know what we can't do in this world we live in? We can't set aside the teachings of Christ. It applies to every single area of our life. The new covenant frees us from having to constantly perform to gain God's approval. Why? Because we already have His approval. Because of what He's done. You know, in the old covenant, what were they constantly doing they're attempting to gain favor with God. We have favor with God. Listen to this out of Deuteronomy 28. You know, in verses 1 through 8 are the nice passages. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and it says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, To choose carefully all his commandments, or excuse me, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today. Notice that they were not optional. The commandments of God were commands. That means you ain't got a choice. Amen. Means You do it. And so he says, to observe carefully all his commands, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. What is that based on? You keeping his commandments. You doing everything that he told you to do. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country. This, this is what you get for by obeying all the commands of God. You get all these blessings. But you see, the problem, if you're going to do it under the law, you have to read the whole chapter. You can't just take out the first few verses of the chapter and say, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I love. That is not rightly dividing the word of truth. If you take the first part of the chapter, you got to go on and you got to look at the rest of it. We'll just suffer through one verse. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Well, Pastor Dave, that's not very, <clears throat> that's not very encouraging. No, it's not. It wasn't very encouraging to them either. But I'll tell you what the encouraging part is. The encouraging part is that we're free from it. Well, you know, Pastor, I do pretty good. I do better than some. Well, James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Well, you know, Pastor, at least I'm not an adulterer or a murderer. Why well, have you ever gossiped? I won't, that's not for a show of hands. Because my fear is that somebody won't raise their hand. And then I have to have a prayer line for liars. Or how about that? Well, I don't lie, Pastor. I mean, I've told a white lie. I, I think if you check it out in the scriptures. There's no white lie, black lie, pink lie, orange lie. I think it's lie. Yeah. And so if you lied, and guess what? A lot of you are stretching the truth. <laughs> well, I caught a fish. You ain't perfect. None of us are. But it says if we're guilty in one point, we're guilty of it all. If we were under the law, every one of us in this room is an adulterer, a murderer, a fornicator. Whatever your pet judgment is, you're guilty of it yourself. Because if we're guilty of one, we're guilty of all. But you know what? We're not. We're not. We're not. Because of what Jesus has done for us. How do you know? Because of Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How do we receive it all? We receive it by faith. How do we receive it by faith? Acknowledging what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. That's the victory that's ours because of Jesus. We are blessed so abundantly. But you know, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Listen to this passage, Mark eleven twenty five and 26. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Well, you see, there you go, pastor. You've got to do something. Well, let me... Who spoke this? Jesus. Was it before or after his crucifixion? This isn't a test. I assume that you would know this. It's before. So even some of the statements that Jesus made because of the context in which it was spoken, we need to rightly divide it. Now, now, let, now I'm not saying that G, what Jesus said wasn't important. It's important. So I'm not putting down Jesus. Listen, if Jesus speaks, you better listen. But it's also He, through the Holy Spirit, that spoke to Paul, that said that we need to be diligent in rightly dividing the word of truth. And so when we look at this passage, if my forgiveness is dependent upon something, it's no longer grace. It's my works. And so Jesus is speaking to the religious folk, to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees, who are still operating under the law, and he's saying to them, because they were so judgmental, If you want to be forgiven, you got to forgive. Now, we're the other way around. Because we're forgiven, we're able to forgive. Amen. Everything Everything is reversed. In the old covenant, it was dependent upon what we did to receive the blessing of God. Under the new covenant, under grace, it's because of what Jesus has done that we're able to do. Do you realize we ought to keep the law? But we keep the law because it's written in our hearts. Because we choose to, because Jesus has already fulfilled the law, he's empowered us to be able to do it. And so everything's, everything's reversed. It's no longer upon my actions... And then Jesus, no it's upon his actions and my response to what he's done for us. Why <clears throat> This morning we took the offering. You didn't have to give. Under the old covenant, you'd have been cursed with a curse if you didn't give. This morning as we received our tithes and offerings, you didn't have to give. You're going to deprive yourself of a blessing because you weren't sowing any seed, but you aren't going to be cursed because we've been redeemed from the curse. But because of what Jesus has done for us and because we've been created in the image of God, we don't give because we have to. We give because I want to. Amen. You know what? Under the old covenant, if... You know, of course, we wouldn't have been here today. We'd have been here yesterday. But under the old covenant, if you wouldn't have come to church, you'd have been in big trouble. And we're talking big trouble with a capital B. But you know what? We're not... Why, why, why do we come to church? He says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Something that ought to be a longing in our heart. Something we want to do. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. So that we can fellowship with one another. So that we can receive truth. So that we can take it and apply it in our lives and experience the victory that we have for him. from Him. And so we need to rightly divide the word of truth. You remember Jesus, the... Religious folk, they brought this woman to Jesus. She was caught in adultery. And the Bible says that she was caught in the very act. Y'all know what you mean by that. Well, where's the guy? I mean, it's just as Wrong for him as it was for her. But where's the guy? We don't, we don't see him, you know. It was just the woman. What did Jesus do? Jesus grace. Jesus knelt down, he's rotten sand, and they said, So uh. What should be done with this woman? Because she was caught in adultery in the very act. Jesus just continues, looks up, says, he without sin, notice it was all he, he without sin cast the first stone. Now, we're in the context of adultery here. It's a sin that we're talking about. and One by one, every one of them left. And after everybody is gone, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've, they've all left. They're not accusing me. What did Jesus say? He says, neither do I. Go in peace and sin no more. She had encountered Jesus. Of course, she wasn't born again yet because it was before his death, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus didn't condemn her. What he gave us was a foreshadow what's available to each and every one of us as born-again believers. We've messed up. And thank God for the law. People say, oh, Pastor, you just don't like the law. I love the law. Don't ever tell me that I don't love the law. I love the law. The Apostle Paul said, if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known that I I was coveting. It was through the law that I knew that I coveted and that I needed a Savior. It was through the law that I knew the shortcomings in my life. Didn't take that much of it to reveal it to me either. But it was through the law. And that law revealed to me that I needed a Savior. That I couldn't do it without a Savior who is Jesus. And so that law fulfilled its purpose in my life. And it brought me to Jesus that I yielded to Him and recognized I needed a Savior and I was born again. And now, on the inside of me, is everything that I need to fulfill the law. Not by looking at the letter, but by listening to my spirit that is in tune with the Holy Spirit that will never lead me to sin. Well, Pastor, you're saying you don't ever sin. I'm not saying that. Because I haven't mastered following the leading of the Holy Spirit 100%. But let me tell you something. When I listen to the Holy Spirit, I don't sin. When I allow Him to guide and direct my life, I don't sin. And neither do you. So when we choose to oppress that voice, suppress that voice, and to listen all the voices around us. We're going to begin to look through the lens of what the media tells us or whatever tells us. That's when it all begins to change. But not when we listen to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4:32 it says be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How do we forgive? We forgive as Christ forgave us. He's the example. He's the one that we look to. Somebody tells you you got to do it. It's tough. But when somebody gives you the way, he puts something on the inside of you that makes you want to. You know, have you ever noticed it's easy to do something when you want to? Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know that it's true. Yeah, it's, it's easy when you want to. It's tough when you don't want to. I'll tell you what God wants to do, He wants to change your want-to. He He changes us so we forgive because we we want to. Well, I, well, Pastor, how do we how do we ever get to that place? You know, I remember one Sunday morning, I don't know what went on in the service, but something went on and and uh, there was like a, <laughs> a forgiving spirit or something. We need that release in the world. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I, was, I was in the front row, and this individual came up and put his arm around me, and we hugged, and so on and so forth. And after the service, there's a teenage girl in the, in the, in sitting out there, and she came up to me, and she says, Pastor, she says, how, how did you do that? because this individual had left the church in the past and had come back and, you know, things had been said and so forth. And she says, how can you do that? How could you do that knowing what had been said? And I said, it was easy. I know what I've done to Christ. And what any man has done to me is so small in comparison to what I was forgiven. How can I not forgive? We look at things that happen to us and we see it as so big. But let me tell you something. Your whole life was a big need for forgiveness because of how you offended everything about God and He forgave you anyway. And you know what? If He'll forgive me, that little deal that somebody does, ooh, ooh. Oh, they said something nasty about me. Oh, ooh, oh! I think I can get over it. Because he got over everything that I did to him. You know, a lot of it is keeping things in perspective. You know, we're in a culture right now where everything is drum everything up, drum everything up, drum everything up. No, forget everything, forget everything, forget everything. And focus on what Jesus is done. I got to do it. I just got to do it. You've heard it a few times. But today, I noticed, Dan noticed it. But today is Anthony Wade's birthday. And some of you know who Anthony Wade was, a lot of you don't. But Anthony Wade was a traveling minister that we had here several times, several years ago. And uh, he is a black man from Ohio. And we just had a wonderful relationship with the guy. And, and <clears throat> you know, of course, back then, when we had a guest speaker they I stayed at our house. And so Anthony stayed with us. And, you know, the theory was, you know, the first meal you eat with us, uh, we'll get you the salt, salt if you need it. The second meal you eat with us, you know where the salt is. You know, and so that was a relationship we kind of had with, with Anthony. And so he is getting ready to leave, and the kids were still at home then. And we all gathered in our family room, and we were going to pray for him as he is leaving. And, uh, and you did say this. And Pastor Becky said to Anthony, she said, You know, Anthony, you being. So black in such a white state. Do you ever feel prejudice towards you? And he thought a minute and he says, "Well, not really." He says, "Because I don't look for it." You know what Anthony was saying? He says, "This is the lens that I look through. This is the lens that I see the world through. This is the lens that I see other people through." What's the lens that you see the world through? You know. prejudices that we have in the world are a result of the lens that we look through. There's so many things like that that are involved in it. And so we need to be in that position where we move on. And we look, we change lenses. Colossians 3.13. It says, "Bearing bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Even anyone, if anyone has... Complain against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also do. Just as everybody else, you know, just as Christ forgave me, we need to forgive. It's a lens, rightly interpreting the Word of God. In Matthew 19, 16 and 17, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. There's only one that's good, and that's God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Again, Jesus is speaking to, he's answering a question to somebody who's operating under the law. How do we enter into the kingdom? Through the grace of Jesus. What Jesus has done for us. And I want to share this passage with you because it's key. It's Acts 16, 30 and 31. It says, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. What does that mean? That means there's only one way to salvation, not multiple ways. There's only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus. What he's done. For each and every one of us. And so how do you see the world? How do you see the church? How do you see your surroundings? What are you looking through? Are you looking through the lens of grace? are you looking through the lens of the law? Are you looking through the lens of grace? are you looking through the philosophy of men? Jesus, the Bible says, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Whatever is lacking, whatever is needful in our life, where do we find it? We find it in Jesus. There's no other way. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Aren't you thankful that he paid the price so that we might have the abundant life, the abundant life in Christ Jesus? So, Father, we thank you this morning for the victory that is ours because of the completed works of Jesus. And Father, where we've not accurately divided the word of truth, Father, speak to our hearts, and by your precious Holy Spirit, guide and direct us into all truth, that we might walk in the fullness of what you've made available to us, and that we might be truly equipped to be loved, thereby being able to love others. It's through you. It's not through our efforts, it's through you. And so we thank you and we give you praise in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.